Okay, we are back for another episode of AlphaCast. Today, I'm joined with my usual compatriot, Dr. Bear Paul Lando of Alpha Vedic. How are you today, Bear? Doing great. Glad to see we're both sporting our Alpha Vedic hats. Always. Um, it's my go-to. I'm wearing the dad hat today in proud uh, support. And of course, I have the fashionable camo hat. Yeah, you. I love the camo hat. Um, in fact, mine's so sweat-stained, I need a new one. But you can actually see all these uh, hats on our website, alphavedic.com. We do sell them. And uh, thanks to Bryden Lando, who's one of the co-founders, and actually Bear's son and a good friend of mine who has designed them. And they are of high, highest quality and uh, super stylish. And we love them. So there's two trucker hats. We've got the dad hat uh, that I call. Uh, and then Bear is sporting a cool um, camo hat. So uh, those are available on our website. Today, we are jumping into a topic that is often misunderstood, and it's arthritis. And we're calling it this specific subject, the arthritis solution. And so hopefully we can help people out there because we know a lot of people suffer from this affliction. And I think I even do a little bit, even in my younger age. And it's typically something we see as people get older um, are dealing with this. And so, yeah, we want to jump into this today and let Bear kind of take us down the rabbit hole from his experience in clinical uh, in his clinical days, as well as in his more academic research, I'm sure. And we'll let him kind of expound on that. So let's jump into it, Bear. Where do we start? Do you want to maybe start with your definition of what arthritis is and kind of how we put in blog posts about the wording of it and the language behind it? Sure. Good place. Um, just to warn you, Mike, I'm, uh, we're in uh, week two of our quarterly fast. We do a 10 to 21 day fast every calendar quarter, so four times a year. And I'm in that pleasantly drifting uh, <laughs> kind of phase, so I may rely on you to be my memory monitor today. So uh, jump in if I ever look like I'm off, in the, off somewhere else, so, but I'll do the best I can. Sounds you know, your, your mind feels really clear when you're doing long fast, but... Um, you're in a different place, let's just say that. Oh, by the way, you know, uh, before we jump into it, uh, wasn't gonna go there, but fasting is, is uh, very relevant to arthritis or any bodily condition because fasting does cure everything. Uh, you know, when people start researching these days about fasting, they'll get the disinformation on the internet that's put out there by our friends in the AMA saying, oh, it could be dangerous and you'll do muscle wasting and you know, not just skeletal muscle, but you'll be robbing muscle from organs and such that could put you in a bad way internally. But that's absolutely false because um, substantial research has validated that on day one, you burn glucose, you know, your sugars, and day two, you go into glucose sparing. So you start uh, using protein uh, converting protein to sugar for uh, your energy needs. But then on day three, uh, you actually, the body 
you know, and it perceives that you're still not getting nutrition in, what it does is it starts, it, it shifts from protein conversion to fat conversion. So it converts lipids to ketones for energy. And uh, so there's really no danger. Uh, I mean, unless you're severely emaciated and don't have an ounce of fat to spare, but in our culture, that's, that's kind of a rare thing these days. So uh, fasting, anybody that's uh, experienced with it will tell you that uh, things stop hurting, uh, things heal, uh, your skin renews, you, you get energy. So, um, you know, for the first time in, in probably in many cultures, historically, we have an abundance of food uh, and, and, and not always good food available 24 seven, you know, the body isn't designed to eat all the time. And just as important uh, with giving your body a rest, which will, by the way, heal leaky gut and all the other things that alternative practitioners have identified as major health uh, issues, you know, underlying all of our major health issues. Uh, you know, just like if you're an athlete in training, you know how to rotate your training uh, you know how to take periods of rest, uh, how to do cold therapies, you know, which we might talk about a little later, Mike, to help your body recuperate. And uh, the same with your gut. You know, if you're eating all the time, it, think of it as a muscle. It's like going to the gym and working the same body part every single day and never letting it rest. And, uh, you know, then you pile on the toxins, the vaccines, the, all the other things that are creating autoimmune conditions and, uh, you know, foreign proteins in the body, uh, the medications that people take, even a lot of common over-the-counter uh, um, medications for pain that we'll talk about, like Advil and, and such, that uh, put uh, uh, proteins and things in your body that are, um, require antibody responses along with antibody responses to, to vaccines. And then those antibodies start attacking your own tissues, uh, especially your gut which is the reason why we have, you know, so, much, so many people suffering from leaky gut, which leads to all sorts of other problems. So, uh, and, you know, we're going to talk more about um, osteoarthritis today. Uh, that is what we would consider wear and tear. That's just the conventional understanding. Uh, rheumatoid arthritis is, is what we would uh, think of in conventional circles as more of an autoimmune, you know, your, your body, your immune system tacking your joints and tissues. Uh, but they really have at their roots very similar causes. So when it comes to clinical treatment and just lifestyle factors, uh, th there's a lot of commonality and you can cover both conditions with the same, uh, you know, the same approach. So uh, what was your first question, Mike? I think it was about how do we define arthritis? I uh, can't hear you. Oh, you're muted. Sorry about that. I'm, I'm doing like six things at once right now. I'm still putting out tweets. Oh, sorry about on. No, no, I'm, I'm my, I apologize. Actually, my question was, so uh, how, uh, just real, real quick, how long are you going to fast or what's your regimen for this? What's your, what are you doing right now? Well, we always uh, leave it a little loose. We go minimum 10 days and up to 21 days, depending how we feel. And, you know, when you're doing things like this, even if you're experienced, and we've done it for a lot of years, you don't want to get really hard line or, or um, 
mental about anything. When it comes to your body, you want to listen to your body. Your body will tell you. Now, 10 days to us is nothing because we've done a lot longer than that. And um, so that's kind of a no-brainer. It's, it's fun. Um, you know, a good thing about fasting is it's not just giving your body a rest, but it's, it's a mental thing, just like your Wim Hof uh, cold therapy that you're doing. It's a mental thing. You know, when you first uh, jump into an ice bath, it's like, holy crap, you know, what am I doing here? Uh, but then after a while, you realize all you're doing is changing your mind. And when you detach from those things that um, we think of as um, concerning our physical survival, especially eating, it's very empowering. And when you get to the point where you love not eating just as much as you love eating, that's a very good neutral place to be. And it also means that, uh, you know, when you get into those other topics that we discuss a lot as far as how we live in a uh, universe of our own making from our own thoughts and emotions, literally, you know, manifesting our what we think of as physicality, uh, those attachments to things like food really should be looked at uh, because when, when, again, you are less attached to uh, materialistic uh, levels, then it's easier to shift your perspective, your access of perspective, uh, when you're looking at, say, healing something in your body, like arthritis, because you realize, well, it's really coming from some other place and uh, if you're less attached or focused on what you think of yourself as a material being, then you can get to the source of the problem much more readily. So, um, yeah, when we're at 10 days, then we just say, oh, okay, should we go a few more days? Should we go 21? Our last one, we did 21. Uh, this one, we're, you know, right at the 10-day mark and, you know, we'll just play it by ear. But good to keep yourself flexible. And listen to your body above all, because your body will tell you what to do. And if your ego is telling you, well, I want to do this because I want to uh, become a breatharian or, uh, you know, or some book said I need to do this or that, then you're going to miss the book because no book or no guru is going to be able to discern what your needs are or what experience you have. And especially with something like fasting. So uh, you know, take baby steps if you've never done it. Do little, maybe twenty-four hour ones. Uh, you know, and then there's uh, there's all sorts of strategies. Just save that for uh, a whole podcast where we do just nothing but fasting because there's there's a lot to talk about. It's really fun. Yeah, no, I agree. We'll we'll dive okay. into that. Yeah, one. go ahead. So, um, okay. So, <clears throat> definition of arthritis. Yep, that's where we're at. Okay. Um, let's look at the word arthritis. Arthro means joints in Latin. Itis means inflammation of. So if you translate from Latin, it means my joints hurt. <laughs> okay. you, uh, you, you broke up there um, for a second, uh, Barry, you broke up there for a second on the last part. So you, you got the prefix, but what's the suffix or the second part? Okay. Prefix arthro joints, itis, the suffix meaning inflammation of okay and that means deciphered in english my joints hurt <laughs> so we're done you know everything you need to know about arthritis folks thanks for listening <laughs> <laughs> and use some ice we'll see you next week
and take Advil. So, um, as I said in my newsletter for this podcast, if you go to a doctor and he deciphers what you tell him or, or, uh, or codifies it in Latin, we should say, and says, oh, you have arthritis, uh, what does that do? It doesn't tell you why. It will also indicate that he doesn't know why or she. And, and then, of course, when they just throw the, uh, the re- regimen of um, anti-inflammatories and NASADs and all that kind of thing, uh, you know, as the treatment, then that's where you say, thanks, doc, and you get the heck out of his office as fast as possible. So um, I have what is I I have a family member that is a um, as if is a doctor and a physical therapist. And I had another family member who was having what she thought was bad arthritis in her hand to where it was very debilitating. And so he put her on a something like six or 12 Advil a day for a month kind of thing It was really robust and it did go away. However, she took God, a God awful amount of Advil during that period. As an, yeah. So, yeah. so what we need to do is separate diagnostic terminologies like arthritis, cancer, anything you can think of from actual conditions. So let's talk about the conditions more today. Uh, This is also a good illustration of how our medical profession, uh, especially for chronic degenerative disease, um, you know, I used to work in emergency medicine channels, and it's it's where um, Western medicine shines, and diagnosis is important, you know, if you want to know exactly what the heart's doing while somebody's... uh, you know, experiencing a cardiac infarct, then um, good idea because that's going to tell you exactly what you need uh, need to do to keep a person in your body. It's also going to tell you what pharmaceuticals that you want to start putting in the IVs. And uh, that is absolutely life and death situation. So when we're talking about medicine, we have to separate critical care which is what our system of conventional medicine is about and fantastic. That's where you want to be when something bad happens. Mm -hmm. And then you want to separate that from um, chronic degenerative or just general long-term health, two separate things. Unfortunately, we're trying to use critical care for everything. And so diagnostic labels don't help for long-term health and longevity. Uh, arthritis, what I tell people as far as a diagnosis, is just a word. doesn't tell you zilch about anything. What you have to understand is that the body never errs. It never um, falls prey to disease because disease does not exist in the natural order. In the natural order, which includes our own bodies, what you do have are patterns blueprints that um, are comprise our original design and when our lifestyle thought patterns uh, you know emotional state um, environmental influences become toxic then those patterns alter and create overlays 
that um, deviate away from the natural uh, patterns that would keep you youthful, pain-free, and energized for as long as you care to run around in your body. Um, so with arthritis, you have to understand when you get your x-ray from the doc and he says, wow, you got uh, thinning joint spaces, you've got bone spurs, calcifications, and all these things that are the source of your pain, therefore you're arthritic and we uh, you know, need to put you on medication. He's failing to understand why the body's doing that. The body is in fact doing a very, excuse me, purposeful adaptation to the stressors that are placed upon it. So what we should do in our conversation is talk a little bit about those. Uh, any comments first? I'd like to just keep this in discussion mode. I don't want to bore people with just a, a monologue. So uh, anything that the audience or you have to throw in, chime in at any time. Yeah, um, no, you're doing great. And it's important to set the found, this kind of foundation because without, you know, we do this a lot in a lot of these episodes is like without this foundation, we, you know, we can go on, but people need to understand the, you know, as you say, the physics behind it. Uh, otherwise, there's no point in trying to take people down this rabbit hole. So you're doing a great job of that. Uh, we do have some nice chatter already. We have Hope in here who says, her, she said her husband suffers from arthritis from years of being a carpenter. And she was actually curious if carbon 60 uh, would be a, a good way to go about treating that. Um, and once again, I think what you're trying to get at here and what you're doing a great job of is that it's a more holistic approach in, in terms of our mentality and our understanding of how our body works first and foremost, right? Yeah, and we'll uh, maybe get to some solutions uh, as we go here. Carbon-60, we can talk about later. Uh, great solution, probably the best anti-inflammatory on the planet, but later. Okay, so um, let's just say you're a carpenter, and you've really beat up your body over the years. What you have to understand about the joints of the body you know, we think of them as bones and cartilage and, uh, you know, tendons, ligaments that wear out with age. But that's not true at all. Uh, what you do have are living ecosystems in every single articulation of your body. And those ecosystems include chondrocytes, uh, osteocytes, uh, all the different cells that both um, lay down new tissue to regenerate and absorb excess tissue when it's not necessary to moment by moment remodel your joints according to the stresses placed upon them. Now, if you're out you know, doing manual labor for many years, which is rigorous, you're gonna be okay and your joints uh, will serve you well and pain-free as long as there aren't other factors at play that would set you up for problems. And those are what we need to talk about. 
Um, you know, I spent many years in the trades working my way through school, uh, uh, you know, after sports days and, and, and that kind of thing. And I worked with old timers and some of them were amazing. You know, they're complete beast. They're like three times my age at the time and could work circles around anybody and didn't have a pain in their body. And then, and then on the other hand, you see 40, 50 year olds that were already destroyed by their occupation, not by their occupation, but you know, by other factors that we'll discuss. So, uh, you know, you see that in sports too. You see certain athletes very durable and others not. Well, why is that? Go ahead. Well, I was going to say a lot of it, one of the factors I would assume is trauma, right? So depending on what I played sports and it's a kind of a luck of the draw. It's like, you know, and it also has to do with your skills and your ability, your, your nimbleness, your, uh, your constitution, your ability to um, navigate the field, if you will, so that you're not injured, but we're talking about injury, right? We're talking about trauma as one of the big cofactors here. Exactly. Now, trauma, you know, your body knows how to heal anything in any kind of trauma. Even if you tear a ligament, you know, you have an ACL or something in football, as long as it's not 100% avulsed, it'll heal that. The problem is, using a sports example, is people don't heal it properly. I remember, um, you know, in college, uh, one season I had an ankle and, um, you know, I just one practice, I kind of went to the sideline and said, Hey, you know, need some time out here. And I was obviously limping and the coach came over to me and said, well, um, you're a starter, but let's get uh Craighead in there. And, uh, he's a starter now, <laughs> you know, oh, and gosh. I got the message. So, um, the, you know, for the rest of the season, I had to shut up every day. You know, they weren't shy on using drugs. And, uh, you know, and then they, you know, tape it after they shoot it up and, you know, probably didn't do my ankle any favors for the rest of my life. Uh, and that's what athletes do. That's what people in the trades do. You know, they aren't taking drugs and shooting themselves up to just go out and do a work day, but you know, they'll, they'll take their, uh, you know, they're Advil at night and, you know, maybe their lifestyle isn't impeccable and maybe they aren't looking at those deeper factors that would keep them, their joints youthful for long term. So the, the big takeaway here is that there's no such thing as arthritis as a condition. You know, um, disease or any condition, including arthritis, is not an entity that exists in nature. It's not this little animal running around there, you know, with uh, distinct from every other animal that, you know, pounces on you when you're unsuspecting and and attacks your joints. Uh, What your body is really doing is, again, remodeling. And then those effects that uh, gradually, you know, compromise your, your mobility and start creating pain are actually intelligent adaptations to heal you. But if we don't take care of the reasons why the body does that, then we just keep going down that road and the body does as best it can for as long as possible. But, you know, you're going to get worse. And that's why doctors can justify 
that, well, you're just getting old. Um, aging has nothing to do with anything. Uh, I've, I've got seven decades under my belt now. And, um, you know, the aging process is interesting. And I can tell you how I've got every gray hair on my head. Uh, because now I understand. I wish I knew back then what I know now. But the point is, is um, aging, you know, it's like living in an old house. You know, an old house is fine, but it's good to periodically clean out the basement and the closets and everything because the longer you live there, the greater the opportunity for just uh, gathering excess stuff. And, you know, you've got to get rid of the clutter. So with education um, and proper lifestyle, you can get rid of the clutter as you go. You don't even have to get to that point where you uh, age in a non-graceful ma manner if you, you know, get wised up soon enough life. And um, so aging does seem to demonstrate more of the population, you know, that demographic does demonstrate more arthritic conditions and all sorts of conditions, but it's not because the, the body is designed to wear out. It's because we were never informed how to act and think properly. Uh, you could say that a lot of the degeneration of aging is based more on choices than biology or, um, right? It's, I know there's been even mainstream studies showing that like bone density doesn't decrease with age. Um, no, they, they talk about the telemeter thing, you know, um, I know that's a cofactor, right. With aging, but I guess aging plays a big part. Yeah. But then when you drink Gulan tea or take carbon 60, your telomeres lengthen. So that proves that, you know, it's, it's not impossible for your DNA to repair or lengthen just because you're older. We see it in studies. It happens. And here's another thing, you know, there's an Italian uh, uh, study where they, um, you know, studying bones of old people versus, you know, people in their youth. And, and a lot of times, uh, you know, in elderly, their bones are just as sturdy as anybody else. And then likewise, in people that have arthritis and, and uh, you know, arthritic problems, uh, when you look at... Um, X-rays, for instance, you'll see that one segment where they hurt has got all these uh, conditions, you know, calcifications or, or uh, loss of bone integrity. But then in the segments, you know, for instance, in the spine or any other joint, you'll see that the uh, adjacent joints are just fine. Yeah. So, okay, uh, does that mean that age affected those joints but not others? Uh, these are the logical perspectives that doctors should just see intuitively, but for some reason they don't because, yeah, and I can say personally from my training that you're really brought into a materialistic access of perspective, and that's good. You know, you don't want to have your head in clouds all the time, but you have to understand first uh, the biology then you have to understand where the biology comes from. And today we'll, we'll trace all the way from um, orthopedic to internal health with your organ systems, and then eventually make a few comments about uh, the more the, the deeper physics involved as far as how these things are a product of our psyche in the first place. 
but you know we need to ground it in first you know whether you're in clinical practice or just somebody uh at home trying to help yourself uh yeah. you, again you have to take yourself where you're at and take baby steps until you've got the full spectrum of understanding of what comprises your being from uh physical to what we think of as non-physical but then in fact when you get there properly you realize the so-called non-physical is actually more real than the physical okay so uh back to joints joints in your body will remodel according to the stresses placed upon so let's look at uh another structure involved in joints and uh, they're the biggest soft tissue structures of our body uh they're called muscles and for instance um you can go to a chiropractor and get an adjustment. But if there are muscular forces at play that are the reason why, for instance, the spinal segment subluxates in the first place, and if those aren't addressed, then you're gonna need a weekly adjustment for the rest of your life. Now, I'm not putting down chiropractic. That is one of my trainings. The reason why I made it just one of my trainings is I found that it was an extremely valuable tool and indispensable and in the hands of um, a true professional can be wonderful. But I had to, in my training, integrate other understandings and certifications that would teach me how to address reasons why subluxations happen in the first place. Um, so could you muscles a, hold could you bones a, in place. Could you explain what a subluxation is for those who don't know, like me? A subluxation is really a misnomer in the chiropractic profession. Um, a subluxation means a displacement of vertebrae. And... Um, in fact, we should say misalignment. A true subluxation by the conventional definition would mean that uh, you wouldn't even be ambulatory if you had a subluxation. In fact, it could be life-threatening. So I prefer to say a misalignment. For instance, uh, there can be forces placed on any bone in the body that can you know, rotate it, uh, you know, and translate the normal forces of your daily life in a way that's going to create more wear and tear on the body. And those are the things that chiropractic, osteopathic, and, uh, you know, meridian therapy can address very effectively to um, take those stresses off. And then uh, if uh, chiropractic adjustment or an osteopathic adjustment, I like to do both osteopathy is more of a and they both have their place so we're not saying one's better than the other it's, it's a different approach chiropractic is a little bit more of a of a um, i don't want to say forceful because done by a skilled doctor uh you really don't feel that force nor is it dangerous but uh, more of a high velocity approach we'll say that uh, a high velocity approach is good at times because over the years, some people um, develop adhesions. Those are conditions, uh, little like gluey things, you know, that like the, the, the joints make synovial fluid. 
And when there's alterations in the mechanics of a joint and there's not proper mobility, those synovial fluids don't circulate properly. And therefore, you're not only not getting good nutrition to the bony structures, but also they get more viscous over time, can actually become like a glue and, and become uh, an adhesion. And so sometimes, you know, when you're uh, correcting misalignments, even after you've done other good work, you have to get in with a high velocity adjustment in order to, you know, break apart those adhesions. And so as a skilled practitioner, you have to know what's going on and when to use what. And, uh, but most of the time, uh, osteopathy and, and other things that I favor, um, you know, do the job just fine. Okay, so muscles, there's a lot to understand about them. Um, let's start with one that everybody can relate to. Uh, let's just say you do a lot of computer work and you're over your keyboard a lot. And so, therefore, you're chronically, uh, and also you're sitting. You know, when you're sitting, there's uh, a lot more compressive forces on your lumbar spine than you can imagine uh, compared to when you're lying down or even standing. So it's really not the best thing for our spinal structure, and it's we weren't designed to sit for long times. And in in back in the day, there was a time where people. Uh, even elderly people could maintain a squatting position throughout an entire meal or workday while they're working outside in the fields and uh, into their 80s. They not only had the mobility to do that, but were pain-free while they did do it. There's a reason why we hurt more today. Sitting is one of our bigger problems. That's going to create a lot of stress in our lumbar area. Now, you're also hunched down over the keyboard or staring at your screen or some such thing. And that is gonna create chronic postural distortions that are now uh, taking out the normal curve. You know, if you look at my neck, there should be a curve going this way here, and then kinda, you know, flowing into a reverse curve uh, above and below it. So that normal curve is gonna be greatly affected if you spend hours every day in these postural distortions. That means uh, the muscles are gonna fatigue uh, the normal extensor muscles that you should be using predominantly when you're just walking around and being active all day um, become uh, less operative. The stabilization muscles disengage just out of habit, and now you have the um, distortions over a time that are going to be forcing your bones to remodel when this normal curve is gone and they're going to be remodeling in the opposite direction and that opposite direction is going to create the things that the orthopedist will tell you you know why you need to be on advil the rest of your life or or in extreme situations get your uh, vertebral segments fused or some other dumb thing. You know, sometimes people go so far down the road that uh, unfortunately it's hard to bring them back. But 99% of the time, in my experience, even with, uh, you know, older folks with pretty severe problems, 
uh, you not only get them out of the woods, but you know they start enjoying life again. I can't tell you how many people uh, we had in years past that were scheduled for some kind of back surgery, and within 10 days to three weeks, they're canceling their surgery. And uh, you know that's a good thing because once you surgically alter a joint, uh, you've pretty much got to live with it. Your body's still really good adapting around the surgical changes, but it can only do so much once you take nature into your own hands. But don't go there in the first place uh, in, in any kind of health condition, including especially arthritis. The first solution, and this is about arthritis solution, is awareness. Understand how things work. And then when certain doctors tell you to do dumb things, you'll say, Doc, that doesn't make sense. Thanks for your time, but I think I'll go get a second opinion. Okay? Yeah. Uh, how are we doing so far? Oh, we're doing great. In fact, this you reminded me to put my glasses on because uh, staring at the screen, I do a lot of computer work. So I've got these wonderful blue blockers on now. Looks silly, but man, they do amazing for fatigue. The other thing too is I got one of these modular desks. There we go. So I, uh, oh, sweet. yeah, so I do a lot of stand, sit, squat. I can go up and down different levels. It's got four presettings. This is a great company. Um, and um, it's called uh, Autonomous and actually uh, very affordable. I think it's like $500 desk that's really high end. So um, having the ability to modulate your standing and sitting if you are an office worker or if you're doing like me, I do a lot of coding, programming, web design, design. So um, the glasses, super important. Um, I've actually ordered some for my kids that now wear them when they're on their, um, their limited uh, device time. And yeah, the standing and my, my older son, he has a yoga ball like you use there when he's at his little desk drawing and stuff, which is something I want to start doing more again. But yeah, um, this is, goes back to your point of awareness and that um, the more that we can take these little steps towards being more natural in our um, in the way that our body's designed, right? In the way that we act all day, because we live in a very unnatural world now. So the ability to try to maintain that natural function and form will pay dividends in the future. Uh, there's a book too that I love, and I, I, I told this to you a, a number of years ago, Bear. I don't know if you ever read it. He was a guest on Joe Rogan's podcast, Dr. Kelly Starrett, uh, Becoming a Supple Leopard is the book. And it's really more oh, geared cool. towards athletics, but his whole concept is that animals um, really looking at the animal kingdom, right? Like a leopard or these predators that um, they don't have these afflictions typically unless they're a pet, which is interesting. So, you know, looking to the natural world and seeing what they do and, um, having, uh, and, and using those techniques and those ideas in our daily lives. So I recommend that book. Um, I really enjoyed it becoming a supple leopard and it really plays into a lot what we're talking about today. Um, we do have a number of people that have chimed in on, um, on the uh, chat here. Uh, do you want me to throw out a couple of these or do you want to keep going and we'll get to these towards the end? Yeah, um, whatever you think. I don't care. Um, well, let's throw out one here um, and then we can continue on because I think there's a lot of solutions we want to cover. And also, we, I don't think you I think we've just scratched the surface in regards to um, a lot of the issues with when it comes to, um, you know, getting the diagnosis. If you um, And just a actually a little fix on what I said earlier. Yeah. My uh, cousin who is not a uh, physical therapist, he's an uh, 
orthopedic surgeon when I said he's a physician. So uh, I actually hope he watches this because I think he can glean a lot from this talk. Uh, but that being said, we have a lib, um, we have Libby in here. Let me find it. She said, uh, I have a, a sudden onset joint pain, knees, shoulders, hips, and base of skull, especially, and her blood work is normal. Was just curious there. Um, sudden onset joint pain. That sounds interesting. Um, any ideas on that? Yeah, not uncommon. And everybody experiences things differently. Uh, for instance, if uh, in conventional thought, you know, you uh, want to ask people, um, does the pain migrate? Is it symmetrical? In other words, does it happen on both sides equal? Does it favor one side? Uh, you know, a lot of other factors. And then that would uh, help conventional diagnosticians say, oh, it's rheumatoid or it's, um, you know, wear and tear arthritis and uh she mentions that her i'm sorry what was her name uh libby oh libby uh mentions that um her blood work is fine so obviously there's no rf factor and that kind of thing which would you know people think is uh means that you're being attacked by rheumatoid arthritis when in fact it's it's not at all you can you know whether you're diagnosed with lupus uh you know, rheumatoid arthritis or any other number of conditions. It's the same environmental causations at play. And uh, so, Libby, to answer your question, if, uh, if you and I were to be doing any work together and I saw maybe 10 other people on the same day with the exact laboratory findings and physical findings as you, we would treat each one of you completely different. So just keep in mind, there's no single solution that's right for everybody, but there are general solutions that can help everybody. And then the next step that I would take with people before I got into my more specific work was to isolate any things relative to lifestyle, diet, you know, just living, working habits, um, exposure to environmental toxins and really see if there's anything at play that we can reduce if at all possible. And after that, you know, uh, you know, of course, dietary solutions and things and also periodic fasting, like we're talking about cold therapies, uh, things that can make, uh, uh, stimulate not only the immune system, but all of the uh, restoration processes in the body expedite, including joint health. So um, since with that kind of symptomatology, Libby, I'd say no clear-cut diagnosis would come in, into my mind, nor would it even make any sense if I tried to put a word on it. But maybe just listen further and... Uh, you know, we can give you more solutions about that. Um, periodic transient pains, like sudden onset, again, is not uncommon. And there are reasons why that would happen uh, in the absence of arthritic changes. And, you know, we could go down a whole lot of other issues. But, but again, with the same lifestyle adjustments and things that you can do on your own at home, 
uh, you'll see even those disappear. Uh, yeah, she sorry, was Mike, that, we uh, it's very bad at night, like it pulls in her joints. It's equal, not rheumatoid, and just curious why the sudden onset. I'll say that I know a lot of this can, can actually connect directly to inflammation, which directs to your immune system. So if there's some cofactors there that her immune system is um, igniting against or something, right? Um, I don't know, just throwing some stuff out there. Well, you know, again, just as a matter of logic, you don't even need to be a doctor to figure this stuff out. Um, but again, we're all into this mentality of something's wrong rather than what am I doing and why is it happening? Uh, let's just think about that. What happens at nighttime? Well, you know, during the day, you should be up and around and pretty mobile using your muscles, the lymphatic networks, which think of it as the plumbing of your body, runs through those channels and the muscular activity keeps things circulating. That's why um, exercise and just a good active lifestyle is important. Now, part of that lymphatic system is your liver. And the liver, of course, is the most important filter of our body. So in the nighttime, we tend to uh, have less circulation, effective circulation, and things can uh, back up a little on your liver. Now, that's no problem if you're healthy because your body adapts to that and you wake up in the morning clear-headed, pain-free, and, um, you know, just feeling and energized for the day. However, if there are any other issues, and we're not even talking about serious issues, but just, you know, like, like most of us, uh, you know, that's why you might wake up in the morning with baggy eyes and, and sometimes have a little brain fog until you get your first cup of coffee. So, uh, you know, that's not a natural state. We don't have a, a deficiency of coffee or, or any other thing. Not that there's anything wrong with coffee, um, but if you don't wake up, in a clear state, then, you know, that tells you that things are backing up during the night. And when you get into Chinese medicine, one of the first things I learned is that there's a great connection between the joints and the liver. And the reason for this now in um, Asian terms, you, you get into energetics and everything that makes sense on a different level. And we can even explain that with fancier physics these days. But your liver, um, being the largest filtration organ, um, and also your joints being a place, uh, amongst others, but a favorable place where the body will actually store toxins that are overwhelming the elimination uh, systems moment by moment, those toxins will tend to accumulate in joints. And that creates all sorts of issues, including inflammation. And so now if you just look, okay, nighttime, less circulation, liver's backing up, and also, uh, you know, things backing up into the joints, that is why joints are a little stiffer in the morning. And once you start mobilizing them, you know, walk around the house or whatever, uh, then uh, the fluids within the joints, even though the joints, you know, doctors will say, oh, they can't regenerate because they, um, 
don't have a really independent blood supply like soft tissues. They're, tr they're right, but they're also being stupid. You know, think about it. If you had capillaries, uh, direct blood supplies within joint spaces, the compression factors would destroy them. So uh, maybe somebody knew what they were doing when they designed the body. On the other hand, what, does, what do the joints have? They do have fluids. They have synovial fluids, as we've mentioned, and other ways through motion to circulate those fluids, which bring uh, not just uh, lubrications into the joints, but nutritive factors that keep the joints nourished so that you can regenerate them just fine without any direct blood supply. And remember, cartilage, bone, and so forth is made up of living tissue. They're alive. If you take a average 20-year-old athlete and put them in a zero-gravity condition, uh, I... <laughs> I'm pausing because, um, well, I won't go there, but yeah. just think about it as gravitational forces, but it really doesn't work that way. But it would also explain why that happens when you take a 20-year-old and put them into what we would think of as zero gravitational. You know, we have to get into other levels of physics to understand what's really going on. But the point is, it affects the pressure differentials on the joints. And now those varying pressures that, uh, you know, are not as stressful on, on the joints, uh, the uh, living uh, cells in there are going to remodel the bone and joint structures so that they're um, less dense. There's less of a need for density. And within two weeks, that individual will be very osteoporotic and look like uh, somebody who is diagnosed with osteoporosis, which also is a... Uh, a misdiagnosis, but we'll save that for another podcast too. So um, yeah, these joints are totally remodeling every single moment. We have a rich supply of nutrients with proper lifestyle to those joints so they can restore. And there is a reason why things hurt more at night and uh, especially when you get up in the morning when you wake up. What about so you're mentioning liver and we're chatting here on the chat here. I said, what about a liver cleanse doing some sort of therapeutic herbal liver cleanse, like a coffee uh, enema or something? Yeah, that sounds weird to a lot of people, but it's catching on out there. You know, um, during the first and second world war, especially the first world war, they were running out of morphine in the fields and there's these uh, soldiers in horrible shape and pain. And uh, they couldn't deaden their pain. And uh, I honestly don't know how the nurses figured it out. But they started doing coffee enemas for these soldiers. And it greatly reduced their pain. And uh, now, since years have passed and we understand exactly the mechanism behind that, coffee, when you take it up through the other way, uh, bypasses your digestive system and goes directly to the liver portal system. And, um, and then it stimulates liver to purge. So in other words, it's like taking the oil filter in your car and flushing it out. And, you know, anybody who does a lot of off-roading, especially the kind of road that we drive on around here, you know that you have to change your oil and filters a lot more often than if you're in life. 
Same thing with your body. The fact is we are, our bodies are off-roading these days mm. all the time because they're subjected to um, stressors that didn't used to exist or at least were not as prevalent. And so it's a good idea to keep filtration uh, cleaned out. And uh, coffee enemas, in my opinion, should just be standard issue to everybody on the planet right now until we clean our act up. And uh, what it's going to do is give you a fighting chance to allow your liver to keep up with the workload. And for people with aches and pains, especially in the joints, it it's can be, uh, have great effects to reduce your discomfort. And also, at the same time, not just be temporary, but be part of a long-term solution to where you know, your body is functioning to the point where it can handle uh, all the things coming at us these days without having to go through any pain in the first place. So yeah, coffee enemas are fantastic. And um, you know, just kind of a logical thing that we can do these days. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and something I need to get, I uh, need to do again. I'm, I'm actually running low on, uh, we actually uh, have a therapeutic coffee cleanse we sell on our website uh, that I use. And I know our whole team uses, and we have lots of fans of it that are in the know and I'm low on mine bear. So I need to re up on that, but that's something I try to okay. do at least once a month. Um, you don't need to have our product. Of course you can, uh, as long as you have the right kind of coffee, um, what we do is and bear can explain this a little better is we have a number of other, um, herbs and stuff in there, uh, like the aloe concentrate and, uh, other things in there that are really beneficial therapeutically for the cleanse, but uh, Bear, want to give a quick little overview of kind of what you recommend if somebody doesn't, you know, want to even buy it from us and just where to go and get that? Sure, time for an infomercial. Um, <laughs> regular organic coffee will work to flush your liver out, but if you have raw, non-roasted coffee, it's going to work better because it's higher and palmitic acid and, and, uh, and certain caffeine factors that work best on your liver. By the way, people that are sensitive to coffee and can't drink it, like myself, I'm uh, sort of a high idol individual. And if I drink a cup of coffee, um, you know, I might as well go out and get an eight ball or something. It's just, you know, it just doesn't do well in my body. And, uh, you know, I just don't like those kinds of stimulants. That doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't work for me. And I understand there's a lot of people out there that, uh, you know, have the same issues. So when you take coffee uh, intestinally, it's not going to have the same effect. It will be stimulating, but not the same way as when you drink it. So just good old organic coffee, and I stress organic, will work. Now, what we've done with our product is we use the raw coffee because it's better for what I already explained. And also, we have a organically derived um, uh, sodium bicarbonate in it that is alkalinizing and has a nice neutralizing effect to the, uh, to the coffee itself and just uh, a lot more gentler on your intestinal system. It has a very strong 200 to 1 aloe concentrate in it so that it's very healing. And uh, also, you know, remember when you take up things through the intestines, the lower bowel, they absorb systemically very well. That's why a coffee enema works and goes right to your liver. Uh, 
So it's a good way to derive nutrition. So this aloe that uh, you know we found in the past when taken regularly for people with leaky gut syndrome, diverticulitis, Crohn's disease, actually goes a long way in helping people heal their guts. So when you're taking it uh, through the enema, you know, it also, uh, you know, helps soothe, you know, during the whole cleansing process, but gives you a nice systemic boost, especially uh, for your immune system in your gut. And I say your immune system because 75% of it lives inside of your gut. The other thing in there is a nice uh, organic mixture of uh, milk thistle and dandelion, which uh, you know uh, will support the cleansing uh, actions of the coffee itself on your liver and make the coffee work even better. Um, and for good measure, we throw in a chaga concentrate to just give give a good tonifying. Uh, you know, um, systemic effect as well, because what that does, uh, you know, if you're flushing, cleansing, uh, at the end of it, it's nice to retonify. When you say tonify, it means kind of tighten up in a good way. So if you've been, you know, putting uh, fluids up there, you don't want to just leave yourself in a relaxed, expanded state. The chaga, again, will do many good things systemically, but uh, also have a nice astringent activity that'll help just kind of retonify the smooth musculature of your um, intestines. So the next day, uh, you don't get up and face constipation because you cleaned out and, you know, now you're dependent on a coffee enema just to clean your bowels out as well. And remember, this isn't to clean your bowels out, it's to flush your liver, but it will, you know, clean things out too, like any enema will do. Yeah, you get But if you do it properly, yeah. So any uh, bottom line is, uh, you know, you want to make sure you left your intestines in better shape than when you started. And that includes uh, not making them lazy or dependent on any external thing just to go to the bathroom. Yeah. So yeah. good tips. Um, uh, go I would ahead. say too, I would, because I, uh, just from experience, because I'm not as experienced as you guys over there, you and Deb have been doing this for God knows how long. Um, I've only been doing it for maybe a year and a half now, two years. But I'll say at first, it was kind of difficult to hold it in for me. Just it was more of a mental thing because it was so new, you know, going up the opposite way. Uh, but once you, it's very meditative. And once you get into it, yeah, would you say what, hold about 20 minutes um, before releasing it? Or what? Do you, I yeah, mean, I guess. 20 minutes is good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I get in a very meditative state, you know, you make it kind of a ritual. Um, for me, it's, it's very relaxing. And actually it was when I used to drink, I quit drinking. Actually, it's something I don't really talk about. I don't need to preach about, but mainly because it was just starting to wear on my health. And, uh, but I, when I used to drink and get hung over, man, it was amazing for hangovers too. I'll say that it was one of the only things that would save me from a treacherous, just deadly hangover. <laughs> Um, so it's, it's wonderful and you get a, a nice rush from it and, uh, I can't recommend it more. I know it's, as you said, it sounds weird. I remember I had some more alternative thinking friends back in the mid two thousands, actually one who was a bartender and she's like, I got to get home and do my coffee enema. And I was like, what? That's crazy. And I just kind of poo pooed it, but you know, no pun intended there, <laughs> but it's, uh, God, it's an amazing thing to do. So I highly recommend it to everyone. 
Yeah, you know, in our culture, uh, we're programmed to say, ooh, weird. But you go in other cultures, uh, you know, like European naturopathic tradition, that was just considered basic medical care. And, you know, people didn't get sick because naturopaths were being real doctors and teaching people how to take care of themselves. Early naturopaths, uh, you know, in the uh, early years of this country did the same thing, which is why people uh, went to naturopaths as their predominant doctor of choice. Of course, allopaths or medical doctors didn't exist for a long time. And when they, uh, you know, first uh, made their advent on the scene, they were actually shunned because their stuff didn't work. And only through legislation, uh, you know, were they allowed to become the predominant doctors that exist today. Okay, enough of my political statement. Um, so good, uh, good points. Um, I got another you know, one. Coffee enemas. Yeah, I got Go another ahead. question from the gallery here. Uh, a chiropractor, this is from Hope, a chiropractor told me I might have bursitis in my hip. She's wondering if that might be from sitting too long and also was wondering about if it's uh, relating to the, uh, was it called the synovial fluid? Okay, excellent question, Hope. Thank you. So let's go back to arthritis. We already defined that. Let's define bursitis. Bursa are little pads within our joints that, you know, provide extra cushion to help joints uh, be more mobile and be pain-free. Now, burst, bursa, that's a bursa. Itis means inflammation of. So he's getting a little more specific and not just saying you have arthritis, but bursitis means you have inflammation of the bursa. So my first question is why? And it goes back to our same discussion as far as abnormal um, stress is being placed on the joints, including the bursa, including the cartilage and everything else, uh, you know, within the joint capsule, and they do get inflamed. And if, the, if you keep irritating something over and over by rubbing on it, it's going to keep hurting, it's going to get more inflamed, and it's going to become a problem. And then, of course, that's where our brilliant medics say, oh, you need a shot of cortisone. Uh, let's save that discussion for a little while later, because I'm going to get to why somebody would need cortisone and the first not need it, but why they would be recommended to take it. So uh, for bursitis, it goes back into the same discussion we're on. Let's look at what's stressing the joint out in the first place. Mike, you had some excellent tips with, uh, you know, your desk and everything. And, and that's incredible because we all, you know, live a different lifestyle these days. So people take that seriously, start taking care of your body if, uh, you know, first by maybe even getting some of these devices. Like Mike said, I like a yoga ball. Um, I, I'm on my chair right now uh, only because it keeps, um, keeps me a little more stationary for the camera. Uh, you know, I'm Italian, and so if I'm on my yoga ball, I'm kind of going all over the place, including rolling on my ball. And, and so, uh, you know, I need the stability of the chair. But, you know, during my normal work day, if I have to do desk work, I'm on a yoga ball. It allows me to move. It allows me to stretch my spine and take the weight off, you know, one hip after the other. And just, you, you know, you're actually mobile when you're sitting. So that's another good tip. So uh, we were talking about how we get a loss of curve when we're sitting or posturing a certain way. And that is going to force the, uh, the bones to remodel in ways that is going to eventually 
thin certain uh, disc spaces that are supposed to be uh, going this way, but now they're caving in this way, putting pressure on a disc structure and you know wear and tear on the disc now because you've got abnormal pressure you've got bone remodeling uh you know in other joints you have uh, stress on the bursa you have wear and tear on the cartilage not because you're getting old but because of the stress placed on it i don't care how living the tissue is if you just keep you know wearing at it it, it you know it needs some rest time sooner or later now let's look at another thing that doctors, especially people, uh, never address with muscular issues and rebalancing the, the joints and taking heat off the bones by paying attention to the muscles first. The body, we have to understand, is a biocomputer. And keep in mind that our computers or any technology we can think of um, could not possibly exist unless that kind of blueprint already existed in a biological or a natural state within ourselves or in the natural order somewhere. So if somebody comes out with a new innovation, whether it's an energy device like we were talking about last week, or whether we're talking about our computers or even our toaster oven, uh, what we really should be understanding is that is a very primitive, low-level mimicking of what already exists within us. There's nothing new under the sun, as they say. So uh, back in, oh God, the 70s, I was a student of George Goodhart, spent many hundreds and hundreds of hours with him. He was a chiropractor. His dad was an osteopath, brilliant guy, uh, loved the guy to death. He's, uh, you know, became a very a dear person in my life. And he developed what we call applied kinesiology. Now applied kinesiology um, started to first draw the nexus between the nervous system, the muscles, and the organs and every system in the body that shares common networks through those systems of neurology, circulation, uh, lymphatics and meridian networks, no different than if you go into a household electrical system and understand that you know your washer and dryer share, share the same network as the the lights in the basement, and if uh, you stress out the system, you blow a fuse and everything goes out, and uh, you know so it's the um, technological way of addressing stress on that system that if you didn't turn something off that stress could affect and maybe damage the entire system well our body operates in the identical way so uh, with applied kinesiology we started understanding how to address specific muscle divisions and also by the way in uh, old school chinese medicine we talk about Chinese, I mean, um, muscle meridians and um, more of a contemporary understanding of Chinese medicine would help us understand that, uh, you know, the same thing we're talking about, meridians and neurology and muscles and skeletal structures all share common networks. 
So that's why all of these techniques, including Chinese medicine, can be very beneficial in restoring balance. But in applied kinesiology, what we found is that muscles could be hyper, too tight, or hypo, which means asleep at the switch. And very often, in fact, predominantly, we'd find when we learn how to isolate muscles and test them properly, we could uh, find muscles that just once they're isolated for testing, there's just nothing there. You could test it, you know, a 300-pound football player, you know, who could bench press me. And, you know, then I isolate a muscle on their leg and it's like absolutely nothing there. And the reason being is because the body preferentially turned that muscle off to protect the rest of the system. Now, let's say um, you're under some kind of adrenal stress. Uh, the adrenal glands, uh, you know, being more of our anti-stress gland that takes a large brunt of a lot of the things that we face today. And now it's overworked. Uh, the lymphatics, uh, you know, are, are clogged up because it's with the extra workload, it's uh, extra metallic waste products are collecting and it's just getting sluggish and not as efficient. So now let's just say there's some uh, back stabilizing or pelvic stabilizing muscles that share that common network. And uh, the body's going to say, well, it's kind of a bummer, but let's turn those off, or at least one of them, to reduce the stress that's placed on the adrenal glands in this example. And in that way, we're going to uh, have a, more of an assurance that the vital functions of our body are maintained, even if it's at the expense of our joints, because those are the things that keep us alive. So um, when we go in with applied kinesiology back in those days and still use it, um, we could not only find out what wasn't working, but then we could also uh, troubleshoot neurologically things that we had to do that would require a whole host of integrative approaches, including meridian therapy, osteopathic techniques, uh, nutritional therapies that would then treat the adrenal glands to the point and also uh, going to specific lymphatics and, and cardiovascular um, reflexes that would allow the body to safely turn that muscle back on. And uh, otherwise, again, let's just say it's a muscle that affects the spine. You could go get an adjustment. But if you haven't taken care of all the reasons why the muscle was turned off or is hypertonic in the first place, then, you know, you're really not going to have a long-term effect. So um, that went in. I'll finish this up real quick, Mike, and I'll let you jump in. Uh, applied kinesiology went into a more specific type of work where we learned how to take those muscle meridian muscles, which are larger groups of muscles, like adductors, for instance. And now instead of just testing the adductor, we could go through Gray's Anatomy and identify every division of the adductor, and there's a whole bunch of them, and isolate each one of those. And through the years, it allowed us to um, expose the neurological networks and other factors that those uh, um, specific divisions of muscles 
had unique to themselves that were not always common to the larger muscle meridian. So the point I'm making is it allowed our work to get more and more specific. And when we developed that kind of work, and we owe a lot of that initial research to Alan Beardall, who uh, laid Alan Beardall, who at the time I used to study with him up there, um, he developed something called clinical kinesiology. And at that time, you know, Apple was just coming out with this, this first little cube. And, and, you know, we're kind of getting interested in computers like, whoa, cool. Uh, you know, like doing a Word document like was this fantastical, amazing technological feat, you know. And, uh, you know, before uh, Internet or all the stuff that we just take for granted these days. But one thing we did get by studying the original people that developed the computer technologies, they modeled it after the nervous system. And they understood that the human nervous system, just like their technological devices, are binary. It's on off. And when you walk, for instance, take one single step, <clears throat> your system is operating in a binary fashion. It turns muscles on and it turns muscles off so that you aren't fighting yourself and you know you can just ambulate smoothly and it's just sort of a natural mechanism. So by understanding that on-off switch in the body, we understood that, wow, we're dealing with a living biocomputer and I could get further into, which we'll do in future podcasts, as far as how we discovered also the keyboard of the biocomputer so that you could communicate uh, very uh, in-depth with every system of the body and not only find out, uh, you know, what's going on, but have, uh, you know, just a very good trail of breadcrumbs that showed you how people got there in the first place and what to do about it along the way. So now with some of these clinical techniques, it not only showed us why these muscles are um, very much responsible for turning on and off and, and maybe getting hypertonic in the case of when we're overusing um, you know, certain flexor muscles uh, rather than extensor muscles. And therefore, going back to the same phenomena, no matter what's going on, the bones are going to remodel to those unnatural forces. So we've already went through some solutions as far as how you can take care of some of those issues. We also should throw in that just good daily stretching is probably the most important thing you could do, whether you do a, a system of somatics or yoga or, um, or active stretching. And, you know, we can go into all those sorts of techniques and thoroughly at a different time too. Go ahead, Mike. I was just throwing in Pilates too is a great one. Uh, more exactly. active type stretching. Um, I guess one takeaway here is first, you know, when it comes to the more serious issues like that, finding a good practitioner, super important. We know we've, we've covered this ad nauseum that the allopathic um, solutions are typically what, you know, if you go to a traditional allopathic doctor, they'll look at the symptoms and then they're taught to deaden the effects of those symptoms instead of getting to the root cause. This is just gonna perpetuate issues. So finding a good practitioner, whether it's meridian therapies or um, osteopath, um, somebody like 
Dr. Lando here, who has a broad range of full spectrum background would be amazing to find. I mean, he's retired and lives in the middle of nowhere. So we're here more as an education platform. But um, one thing that we want to do is develop that network better through uh, our own agency as a education platform and develop systems where we can have databases for our um, co-op and stuff where we have practitioners in your area we can refer you to. That would be an amazing development on our end just to help you guys out. But to find these practitioners in your area that can assist you with this um, is very important. Uh, and then as far as other solutions, we're also all about you empowering yourself, of course, to heal yourself. That's something that I take very seriously because where I live, there are no I mean, I, I do have the benefit of having Bear here to help me out every now and then, but I haven't even started a file with him or done anything like that as a friend, you know, helping me out. I, I really take it upon myself to heal myself. So, um, you know, one thing I've been really getting into is uh, besides the Wim Hof, which we're going to do a whole uh, podcast on cold therapy and the daily yoga practice I do, but also I've been getting into Qigong of late and that's another a whole other spectrum of concepts here with energy work in your body and uh, and developing that so we can heal ourselves we need to it first comes with awareness then it comes with practice and then if we need a little help here and there it's good to have a practitioner who knows what the hell they're doing right exactly uh, i may be remote mike but i have very convenient parking um yeah what, what was that again you broke up there <laughs> I have several. Oh, I said I may be remote, but I have convenient parking. I have several acres. Um, <laughs> yes. So, uh, okay. So if you're seeing a practitioner, you don't want a diagnosis. You want somebody who can troubleshoot uh, to uh, look at all the soft structures, especially muscles that are forcing the bones to remodel in an abnormal way and create your problems in the first place. But most people with proper lifestyle and daily stretching and just an awareness that they aren't afflicted with a condition, but actually understand why the condition happens. Because remember, everything starts in the mental and emotional levels. Um, you know, that is going to immediately put us in a regeneration mode. But if you are searching out a practitioner, then you want somebody who can troubleshoot all these areas. So, you know, you want them to be able to have a conversation with you about how to uh, uh, identify all the lifestyle factors we've already talked about. You want somebody who can identify all the neural networks, uh, you know, and the um, related organs and things that need support in order to restore balance to muscles in the first place. And, uh, you know, if you go back to the old practitioners of Chinese medicine, they weren't just sticking needles in people. They were master herbalists. Uh, they could read energy. They set bones, um, just like, you know, good practitioners of all times, you know, set bones, you know, just like chiropractors do. So chiropractic isn't some newfangled idea. The problem with today is we're just like in the medical profession, we're very specialized. You know, I did a medical certification, which was good. I learned vocabulary. I learned how to do good mash work, you know, and keep the body going in a pinch with, uh, you know, Western style medicine. 
but uh, that wasn't what I wanted to do long term. So, you know, I went to naturopathic college. Naturopathic college, I got a whole different background. And I realized I was deficient in other ways. So I went to chiropractic college. So, you know, uh, and, and then a lot of postdoctoral work and, and uh, you know, all the other stuff. But, uh, and then also understanding the physics of how we put ourselves in the matrix in the first place, because I don't care how good your physical techniques are, how technically trained or aware you are, if you don't now know how things, uh, you know, pop in the matrix uh, initially, then, you know, you're just in the same box as everybody else, which is why in uh, traditional systems, you know, they had people they called shamans and that sort of thing that, you know, had specialized training, not in just healing the body with herbs and other natural remedies, but also they were trained from birth to be able to see through the cracks a little bit and help people understand that they had more to say than uh, they realize about their conditions. And especially these days when we're under such a strong hypnotic influence from all of our institutionalized medicines, educational systems, and so forth, that keep us uh, you know, in the mindset that we are mere materialistic uh, beings um, and, you know, again, we talk about that all the time. Yeah. So, uh, you want to, uh, look at the neural networks and you want to have the, uh, as a physician, you want to have all the tactical and technical skills that are going to, uh, allow you to put things right. Once you do real diagnosis, not just give somebody a word. And I, I also should mention that there are great technological advancements now like pulsed electromagnetic frequencies, um, you know, that pulse uh, very healing frequencies into the body that can be invaluable to help uh, the body on many levels, including generating joints. We can also, um, uh, you know, I certified in oxidative therapies uh, where you're actually in injecting ozone cocktails into joints that, uh, you know, immediately uh, create an oxygen-rich environment and other factors that we might mix in those uh, combinations to help uh, joints heal more readily. Now, when I was doing that certification, I was sitting next to another chiropractor from Oklahoma, and it was like a week-long intensive. And we were remarking the whole time, because he's a, you know, a good doc, uh, just because it was all medical doctors there. And, you know, I've been on both sides of the fence. He's more of a straight chiro chiropractor. Um, we were just remarking like, wow, just imagine the results these guys would get if they had to fix why people got there in the first place. And then you use the ozone therapies on top of it. And now you've got the best of all worlds. So when you go into a medical facility, that's what you shouldn't be, be enjoying. You shouldn't have to spend a zillion dollars to go see a, a whole bunch of practitioners, uh, all giving you different opinions and all selling their wares to suggest that, you know, you know, you need to see them versus somebody else. The fact is, uh, most doctors don't have the complete skill set, not to any fault of our own, but because we aren't taught that way. We're specialized. That's why in medicine, you go see an ear, nose, and throat guy uh, who knows nothing about the fact that half the reason why you have chronic 
sinusitis is because your gut's all screwed up, you know? And then if you say, oh, by the way, I uh, have some digestive issues, then I'll send you to the other guy, you know? And then meanwhile, they've got you taking different drugs, pulling you in different directions and screwing you up for life. Uh, alternative practitioners, um, fortunately, don't create damage that, you know, there's less doctor created effects, but still we could do a lot better. And my goal is uh, through our little project, Mike, is to pull a lot of people together, start these forums where we can talk about these things. And also, um, uh, you know, my, my real dream is to have a real medical school. And we're now pulling resources from all over the planet to uh, make that happen, hopefully someday. Um, so yeah. here's the other thing. Um, just go ahead. I was just going to say um, the specialization factor in modern, the modern structure of the medical system is, uh, it's devastating for some folks. I know people who have gone in for a minor affliction and put them through put through a, the crazy ringer of going to six different specialists who all prescribe a different uh, drug and that, that just perpetuates the issue and they get on this crazy cycle and it costs them $10,000, $20,000 to fix a scratch. It's insanity. Exactly. And here's the other thing. Uh, we need those kinds of doctors everywhere. Uh, I do occasionally have people come up and visit me here, or sometimes I'll do some little house calls on the road, just as favorite for people. But it's frustrating to me because, um, you know, what you really need is, uh, you know, I, I would need to get my hands on them, uh, not forever, but with regularity. For instance, you do, a, like you said, a file, and there's a reason why we call it a file, and, uh, you know, develop that terminology based on our understanding of the biocomputer, um, but it allows you to not only identify problems, but also when you're in those neurological networks, you're getting a biological or a neurological recognition. You know, remember, this is it's not a machine. This is a living intelligence, our bodies. So when you're in working with somebody within a file, which I have time to do when I'm in my own space, then you find out what's going on. You have ways to access those parts of that neurology or biology or psyche and then um, have a recognition, uh, uh, like a very grounded dialogue with that part of the body, and it makes it vulnerable to treatment. And what I mean by that, it's no different than, you know, you might want to make a change on a Word document in your computer but you have to know how to push the right command buttons in order to get that open on your tabletop to make the changes. It's the same thing with the body. You can be doing the right thing and um, you know that maybe you're just seeing with your skills and sixth sense as a doctor, but it may not be having the same effect as when it's exposed. And there's actually a way to do that. So um, when, yep. uh, you know, a good practitioner has the time and can do a file, get through a level, uh, coach people what to do in their regular life, and then say, okay, come back in two weeks, and then we go to the next level uh, or go through as many levels as it takes. Because in my experience, the problem always gets fixed when you have a problem is when you can't um, – 
have sufficient time with a person in order to guide their process and also to, uh, you know, very meticulously go through the, the level so you leave no stone unturned. There aren't enough doctors available that know how to do that. So, you know, we really need to start training doctors differently. So I know we're, we've been talking for a while, but let's just uh, hit a couple uh, final points here. Yeah. You mentioned that um, joints are a favorite depository of toxins in the body and they do accumulate stuff. So that's why uh, the next part of the solution, uh, which we've hit on with coffee enemas and, and things, but in bioterrain medicine with a, a doctor specialized in that area or yourself at home, if you can keep the body cleansed and uh, to the point where the body is not forced to deposit toxins that are now overwhelming normal elimination systems, then uh, the joints will get cleaned out, the liver itself gets cleaned out, and in a long way into your long-term home approach as far as healing yourself. With bioterrain medicine, if somebody desires or requires more aggressive measures, then with laboratory testing, we can identify those uh, priority areas in the body that need help now. And, uh, you know, the adrenals may need help. Uh, you know, everybody likes to talk about adrenal stress, but most often you don't end up treating the adrenals. You end up treating other organs that are for the adrenals to work even harder. So you take away their workload by, you know, the team approach. And it goes a long way to the solution. And then uh, especially, just like we know in farming, the key to soil health and the absolute key to health in our bodies is the proper maintenance of microbial populations. And <clears throat> that goes back into some of the things we talked about in our uh, part two of... Um, what did we call it? Uh, microbes. What's the name of that one? Uh, it was Pasteur versus Bouchamp. And uh, oh. yeah, and that's amazing you're bringing this up because this has been uh, an interesting topic brought up in our Telegram of late. Actually, um, Susan, who is a practitioner herself, and she's brought to light a number of things with uh, about the gut uh, lately with... Um, and this is a, I want to do a, I've been meaning to share this with you, but the American gut, uh, org, uh, there, there's some insipid stuff going on here and we can, I don't want to get too into it right now, but essentially, um, gut health is a whole podcast we're going to do. And, um, we're going to dive deep into a lot of interesting things going on right now with the mainstream even, and, they're trying to now turn, uh, take the allopathic model towards the gut and create drugs for that. Uh, so, um, but which is hilarious because we're talking about very natural processes, but, um, yeah, the, uh, gut health is massive, massive, uh, of, in, of massive importance. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. And, um, yeah, what could possibly go wrong with, uh, giving people more drugs when it's already totally screwed up the population, reduced our lifespan and you know, on and on. How dare um, you? How dare you? So say that? yeah, <laughs> in Chinese medicine, the first thing you learn is that all disease starts in the gut. 
now we, you know, understand through our own uh, terminologies in education why that's exactly true. Uh, so microbial populations, which predominate in the gut, uh, are really important. So in bioterrain medicine, we make a big, big deal about, you know, looking at people's blood and, and doing a lot of other evaluations, uh, you know, including the, the clinical techniques, uh, uh, you know, that we already talked about to find out where people are needing support and how to introduce or reintroduce populations. And we're not talking about just simple probiotics. We're talking about the organisms that are an integral part of our normal ecosystem that we talked about in past year uh, versus Bouchon. And those organisms, um, pleomorphically, as we discussed, change according to the stresses placed upon our body, no different than the cells of our joints change cyclically, uh, you know, and do different things accordingly to the stresses placed upon the joints, you know, and when you get the hang of this, you see, oh, wow, it works the same way, no matter what kind of ecosystem we're looking at overall or ecosystems within ecosystems. And, you know, that's why you always want to step back and look at the big picture. So in bioterrain medicine, you make a big deal about restoring that balance on the microbial level. And just like our farming operation out here, it all starts with microbes in the soil, because if they aren't plentiful and balanced, you're not going to have the breakdown of nutrients that are available to your body. Um, you aren't going to have the right electrical resistance factors in the soil that are going to allow your, the rootlets of your plants to become compatible with the soil in the first place. And and, you know, we'll do more talks about uh, soil health as well, because it has everything to do with understanding ourselves. Um, so cleansing is a big thing. Now, cleansing, there's a word of caution here. You know, when you're trying to cure arthritis, you're talking about a word that connotes a condition independent of ourselves somehow. That's a conventional understanding. So even if you're doing good stuff, you're, you know, we're uh, doing natural herbs, uh, anti-inflammatory herbs and curcumin and things, um, that's great. But as long as your mindset is on arthritis, now you're in the polarity of arthritis one way or the yeah. other. It's great that you took the first step out of the conventional thought of, well, I need a, an anti-inflammatory, I need to take Advil for the rest of my life, which is going to put you into all sorts of kidney stress and, and, and other issues we'll talk a whole time about. Um, and now you're not doing that anymore. It's less toxic. That's good. But you're still in the mindset of a condition doing something to you. That will get us to the last point I want to make today but not quite there yet. Um, when you're talking about detoxifying, there's a whole group of folks out there that are obsessed with cleansing. And when you're obsessed with getting rid of bad things, you're now in that box again, and you're going to be a magnet holding those bad things to you. And in fact, in my experience, 
I've uh, worked a lot of clinical cases over the years where you have very obsessive people, uh, you know, just worrying about being 100% pure about everything to a point of ridiculous. And some of those people end up being the hardest cases to crack because, again, they're attracting to them with their obsession exactly what they don't want. You can take another person that is less obsessive and, you know, maybe even indulges here and there, but doesn't have a problem in the world. And of course, the obsessive people will say, well, why does that guy get away with it? And everything affects me so much. It's like, well, it's about balance. Yeah. It's good to be, uh, you know, in an understanding of all the pillars of health. One of the pillars is keeping yourself cleansed. And in the old Greek system, they had the the goddess of restoration, the goddess of, you know, hygiene and, and, you know, and they understood through that analogy, you know, balance that needs to be maintained, but you don't want to go off the deep end with either one of them. But cleansing can be very, is important. And just like taking a good bath every day, you should keep your internal organs uh, cleaned out but not get overly obsessive about all the Wi-Fi and the chemtrails and everything that we know is very real. But if you worry too much about them, you're going to make yourself sick worrying about them. So take practical grounded measures. Trust that your body is guided by an intelligence that far exceeds anything in the physical matrix and can absolutely um, alter anything in your favor and at any time you care. So always keep that in mind. Now, uh, the next phase uh, we want to talk about is just regeneration. Um, you know, good dietary. Uh, we already talked about technological advances with pulse electromagnetic frequencies, ozonation, um, uh, uh, just good proper lifestyle. Uh, Qigong, all you're doing is training your mind to be, have the discipline to, to run the energy every, anywhere you want. You know, when you get up out of your chair and walk across the room, you, you're doing qigong, you know, even though it's unconscious because now all the energy is going to your lower extremities to get out of the chair and walk. Or, for instance, a simple experiment anyone can do, you can focus on your hand a few moments, and if you just sit there and you're still and you stare at it, you'll notice that your hand starts feeling very full. That's yeah. because you're directing energy to it. Now, with, uh, when you get into more advanced techniques of like circulating the microcosmic orbit and things that I learned in martial arts years ago, you can develop the knack of um, you know, just directing the energy anywhere you want. And Qigong is you know, the, uh, you know, an alt, uh, um, uh, form of that where you can run it through joints, uh, you know, to bring more healing chi to the joints and just keep your circulation. In fact, it doesn't just move energy because where energy goes, just like thinking about getting up and walking, the body will follow. So that means you're also uh, increasing circulation, uh, you know, and all sorts of other things that are going to keep the physical structures healthy as well. That's yeah. why qigong works. So those are all good regenerative practices. And also just for your mood, if you ever find you're in a bummer about something and, you know, and a lot of people are always saying, well, God, how can I have a happy day happen? It's all 
don't try to make that happen. Just learn how to direct your energy with your mind. If your mind's preoccupied on stupid things, which most of us, you know, that's the case, then give your mind something else to do. And if you just like direct your energy with your mind to your heart, just like when you, you know, just focus in a still state, just like you would with your hand, you're going to find that it gets very full. And now that particular energy center has a propensity to be like a furnace that is going to just evaporate on the instant all the lower ego emotions coming from our solar plexus. So this stuff is very practical. Uh, there are very easy techniques, uh, but it comes with learning and understanding first. And when you go there, now you find that you don't have to stop negative thought patterns or struggle against anything. Just give the, the mind a different task, and now uh, you're going to find you feel very pleasant feelings in your chest area. And uh, once you get more practiced and regular with it, you're going to wonder what the heck you were feeling bad about in the first place. And you really don't care about all the mental stories about why you should feel bad or be worried about something. Yeah. Um, that brings us to the last point I'll make, but you say what you can say well, first. Uh, you're, you're, you're crushing it right now. And unfortunately your audio is undulating in and out. And I don't know if it's, yeah, I don't know if it's the, uh, you know, we thank everybody for joining us on this. As we mentioned in the beginning, bear is actually off grid and on a satellite uplink. So sometimes his internet isn't amazing. And so he can have uh, issues there, but I actually bear, we're kind of to the end and I wish I caught this earlier, but it might be a setting in your, in your zoom if you have a second, because you are just dropping gold here, and I know it can be, when people listen to the podcast, it can get a little challenging when the audio is going loud and soft. Um, if you want to go up to your zoom.us and just go to your uh, preferences uh, and then go to audio, make sure the automatically adjust microphone settings is turned off, because if that's turned on, it will make your microphone volume go up and down. I don't want to get too technical here because we're almost done, but man, you're just crushing it. And I want people to be able to really have a great experience on the podcast and uh, watching this because this is really important information that you're, you're going through these steps here. So I don't know if you see that, um, Bear, but- so you... I have a box under microphone that says automatically adjust microphone settings. Is that supposed to be checked? That's supposed to be off. Oh, okay. So I uncheck it. Yeah. Was that checked? Yeah. Okay. So that was probably causing the issue. So you should be clear now. We apologize okay, to so everybody listening. <clears throat> How bad was it? Do I need to repeat anything or? No, we could hear it. it was just going low and high, low and high. And I've actually had that same issue on a show I did and it, it uh, the, the operator didn't catch it until the very end like this. So anyways, um, we could hear you. It's just, it would get, it was kind of jarring. So um, continue on. So the first, just to summarize real quick, uh, first we detox, then we look towards regeneration uh, or, you know, detox cleanse, then regeneration. And you were getting into the third thing, I believe. Yeah, we uh, went from Qigong and directing your energy with your mind. Uh, which gets into the understanding that the mind controls everything. And that brings us back to our podcast last week with Matt Presti, where we're talking about Walter's Rock, uh, Walter Russell's work and the fact that we live in a thought-based universe. And, and that's not a far-out concept when you understand the physics behind it. It just takes a while to wrap your mind around it. 
and then also apply it so that you have personal experiences so that you own it and uh, you're not just taking somebody's word for it. Um, that's a problem with a lot of metaphysical studies is uh, people will be embracing certain concepts, but they're still at war with their leftness saying, what the hell are you talking about? And so when you get enough information that we aren't taught in school and realize that, oh, the universe really does work that way, now your heart and your mind can unify, be on the same page. You won't experience the same cognitive dissonance that people experience when they hear something contrary to their belief system. And then you can go about having your own experience. And when you have your own experience, that becomes knowledge. What I learned in all the school I did was information. That's all it was. Information is not knowledge. It only becomes knowledge when you apply it and own it through the wisdom of experience. And that's what life is all about. That's why we play the game. That's why we put ourselves in the simulation in the first place. Now, let's go back to arthritis. Arthritis <clears throat> is actually an adaptation of the body on another level yet again, which we can't possibly do justice to uh, in this combination, but we allude to it here and there. We'll uh, address this more as time goes on. There's a gentleman, Dr. Homer from Germany, who absolutely validated the that our psyche, when it is uh, experiencing insults or what we would consider psychological trauma or what would be considered something contrary to our biological survival, then it will trigger certain parts of the brain to biologically express that condition that we then jump to all sorts of conclusions and say, oh, I've got arthritis or I'm sick or so forth. Now, what I'm about to say doesn't negate everything we talked about as far as why joints remodel and things start hurting, but it'll take a while to get there, but eventually anybody can see how all the pieces fit together. So out of necessity of time, we'll just talk about one little piece isolated at this moment. The reason why elderly experience more issues with their joints than younger people, sure, we already explained why, you know, maybe they haven't been doing proper house cleaning throughout their life, and so now things are cumulative, and that's why there's more older people with arthritis. Um, but on another level, in our culture, we are experiencing a phenomena where the elderly, instead of being revered for their wisdom, as they were in other cultures, and remember these same elderly people could still cop a full squat and eat a meal in, the same, in that position for a half an hour or whatever, or work all day, uh, they didn't get stiff when they woke up in the morning or got up from you know any other position. Um, it's because on the level of the psyche, they were supported, admired, and valued. In new German medicine, problems with the joints are what we term a devaluation conflict. And that means that 
at that level certain events that are affecting the psyche to make geriatrics like myself feel less than important mm-hmm. or less an integral part of society uh, will, you know, uh, the self-esteem suffers and certain areas in the brain are triggered and that can be substantiated with CAT scans and it's been done tens of thousands of times which then starts affecting the joints. Now, let's just say you've got arthritic changes in the neck. Um, Well, that means that there's a devaluation conflict related to your intellect. You're no longer feeling that you're valued for your intellect. You're just an old fogey with a foggy brain that doesn't know anything because you don't know how to text message people, that kind of thing. Um, If you have uh, problems with your... Uh, low back arthritic changes there well it has to do with your ability of feeling supported you know in your life in your phase of life but equally it's a devaluation self-esteem conflict and why does biology create biological joint changes in order to accommodate that well that's because a lot of these issues it could get worse biological by a biological expression it can, uh, which we can't go into now, but it will actually take pressure off the level of the psyche and help us on larger levels as far as why we're having this soul experience in the first place and to allow us to advance on other levels more quickly. Now, if we're really smart and we understand these mechanisms, we can not only understand and embrace those reasons that are creating the changes, but then that will um, get us off of these uncomfortable plateaus that keep the biological processes re-triggered so that we can even start getting rid of joint pain or any other illness that you can think of. And uh, uh, with that, we also... I'll stop there because we could go way off into that, but you get the point. Um, Also, uh, good work if you're seeing a practitioner. Uh, What I favor is the Enneagram. That's why we had Mono from Switzerland on, I don't know, a couple months ago, uh, discussing her work with the Enneagram. That's uh, what I favor for my approach to emotional health uh, because it actually through vortex mathematics can explain exactly how those forces are the same forces that Walter Russell talks about that we put in motion with our minds that create our entire reality, including our lack or abundance of health, wealth, uh, you know, and happiness in general. So uh, when you approach emotional health with a tool such as the Enneagram, it can help you identify those forces and just like bioterrain medicine, just like good evaluation of the neural uh, networks, it all comes together and paints a brilliant picture of what we need to do on the ground, uh, you know, what's going to require our own elbow grease uh, to apply practical measures, what we need to get in our understanding. And I think a real well-known guy said something like, get ye anything, but get ye understanding first or get ye knowledge. I'm blowing it, but (laughs) you get the point. Um, Awareness is the first thing we need. And, um, you know, and and then, you know, just good proper lifestyle, uh, hygiene, 
And then the body's going to be in a state that's going to allow it to do exactly what it's designed to do, which is to be self-maintaining, self-correcting organism without a problem or worry in the world as long as you want to be here. Yep. Fantastic. I think that's a good way to leave off. How's the volume? Oh, it's fixed. Yeah, it's fixed. Oh, God, I wish I would have known that weeks ago. Only an hour and 45 minutes in when we fixed it. Sorry, everyone listening today, but we won't have that for future shows. Um, Must have been an uh, an update or something that caused that. Uh, But we do have a question, one more question here from, um, I don't even know how to pronounce your name, even though you're in our Telegram group and you're a very illuminated soul. Mask, uh, maskle one. Maskell one? Is that it? Um, He was just wondering if you knew of any traditional good places uh, to dive into old school kinesiology, any authors or books or anything you'd recommend? (laughs) So throw that out at you. I get this question a lot of practitioners that want to learn and also uh, from people that just, you know, want to see a good practitioner. Um, unfortunately everybody's dead or retired. Um, no, there's, there's good young practitioners, but here's what's going on. Uh, I just got an email from a client of mine overseas and he was, uh, asking me about a new kinesiology procedure. Now I won't even identify the school cause they're doing good stuff. I'm sure. But what doctors are learning is plug and play. Uh, So you take concepts like something like kinesiology Mm -hmm. and rather than first you have a sound basis in medical neurology. Okay. So that you know whether you're testing uh, upper motor neurons or lower motor peripheral spinal nerves uh, versus all sorts of other factors that are going to totally give you different results every time unless you are trained, uh, you know, and, and not do the regular medical school training, whether it was uh, osteopathic medical or, or um, chiro or naturopathic, but you go beyond that to the level of a real neurologist and beyond that level so that you can do muscle testing properly and then you also learn how to do the old school um, longhand version, which means if you're in a pioneer in a computer energy, you built your own computer. You just didn't go into the Apple store, plug it in, and then call the Apple genius whenever you have a problem. Unfortunately, that's the state of most of these seminars that people go to for a week or a few days. They learn a system but they don't learn how to really get into the guts of things. Because I promise you, uh, when you're in clinical practice, if you are operating within a system, you're going to crash and burn with regularity. And then you're going to try to force things to conform to your system or what you do know. Uh, When I'm working on somebody and the people I used to work with in the old days, guys like Alan or, or George, you know, if, if a person kind of shut down on the table, we'd actually love it because that's where we really started learning because we had the ability just to take it wherever it, you know, needed to go and eventually get to the point 
where, you know, we learn new things as well as we're able to support people. So unfortunately, a lot of the education today is, is more uh, streamlined and, you know, like I say, plug and play. So to answer your question, where are there good practitioners? Um, boy, I know of a few that are still alive, but they're, they're out doing other things. They aren't really doing really? a lot of clinical work these days. Yeah, what really part he was of the asking, world is he uh, Bear, really he was asking like any resources for him, like books or places to go. Anyway. Oh, sorry about that. Okay. Um, let me think about that. Uh, and that's, that's another thing, Mike, make a note. We need to, for our eventual resource page on our new website. So my apologies right now. I mean, I have a whole library with the stuff, but it, it, you know, I have to discern whether uh, this person is, you know, medically trained or, or what level he needs information on. And, uh, but we'll get a resource. And by the way, the thing I want to do relative to doctor education is having a whole online training in the not too distant future. So in lieu of an actual university, we can start taking people through distant learning. And if uh, doctors, you know, have a background, then they can incrementally get themselves to some pretty good places. So I look forward Amazing. to that. Amazing. Yeah, the, um, uh, the resources, too, we're going to have a really in-depth one for the co-op. Uh, that's part of being a member of the co-op, which you can join on uh, our website, on Patreon. And that we are working on, and that will have resources from far-ranging as... Uh, all these different health topics in regards to different modalities and specialties to greater uh, uh, spiritual works and uh, more of the stuff in terms of science, uh, stuff uh, related to other technologies, uh, stuff, of course, related to farming, to permaculture, to uh, self-sufficiency. So it's a pretty big task to get this all put together, especially since we're pretty busy running the farm and doing everything else we do just to um, survive right now. So um, it's happening and we're putting it together and it's going to be a kick-ass resources page. And then we'll have a more streamlined one just on the website too that will help the public. But we are trying to really um, give the co-op uh, a lot of added benefit for joining the co-op and supporting us and supporting each other through the co-op. So we thank everyone who has joined so far. We just just started it. So um, be patient because it will evolve over time. Um, but anything else to finish off the show with today? We've gone over two hours, so probably a good time to wrap it up there. I know we could talk for another three hours, but um, any final thoughts here? No, I think we, I think we covered everything pretty good. This, uh, you know, I just looked at it as kind of a arthritis survey, but, you know, to summarize, um, we got into ideas of real diagnosis, what that would really mean rather than just a word. We got to understand that the body is always intelligent. It's not doing stupid things or getting sick or arthritic and uh, things that people can do in their own lives. What doctors might start thinking about as far as uh, retooling themselves and, and a little bit about our project as far as what we're attempting to do here and you know uh, we do the best we can and you know we work 24 7 
because it's a labor of love and never feel burdened by it. Uh, if we were affiliated with uh, the, the powers that shouldn't be out there, if they were on board, of course, we'd be getting millions of dollars to build all this stuff. Uh, we're self-supporting. We, our farming project is not only helping farmers learn how to farm uh, for more long-term oil health and more, uh, you know, nutritious food for people to have for generations, but it also, uh, through our commerce arm, is helping generate resources that we then use to, you know, build all the things we're talking about. So, uh, you know, uh, we always need support, uh, but we're well underway. We've been doing this for a few years, and we're making a lot of progress. And I trust that the proper players and support uh, will come along in the nick of time because that's just been my experience my entire life. Yeah, fantastic. Um, it is a labor of love for sure. And it's something we fully integrate into our lifestyle because we, I know myself, I am hungry for knowledge and um, I really get a kick out of our Telegram group. If you guys want to join a really cool group of souls that are always exploring these concepts and contributing, you can go to our, join our Telegram group. It's an open group, t.me forward slash Alpha Vedic. Telegram is a really simple app. You can throw right on your phone or on your computer. And it's just a continual thread of dialogue if you're not familiar with Telegram. So um, I, I urge you, if you enjoy this conversation, please join us on Telegram. We're also on Discord, which is a more of a forum type structure, which has all different sorts of sections that we drop in links and people have been uh, jumping in there of late more. So we've got more energy in our Discord server. So if you wanna jump in Discord, if that's your preferred platform, all the similar information is in there. Both are great. Um, you can also, of course, follow us on Twitter. You can jump in on a new platform that we, we use a, uh, a lot called Scent. And I know they're about to upgrade Scent to the newer version, and this is a blockchain-based uh, community information portal. Scent.os, I believe, is the, um, uh, it's, or excuse me, it's beta.scent.co, and I know they're updating that. And that's a really a cool community that we post uh, on, and you can actually earn crypto on there it's on the ethereum platform so that's a great one we we have been on steam steam it in the past not so as much of late but uh scent we really enjoy because it's a more kind of um modern uh user interface that people are more used to it's kind of slick looking versus something like steam which is pretty basic but steam's great too we're trying to support decentralized systems so if you guys have any recommendations too we're always open to it but for everything, just go to alphavedic.com. Uh, that has all of our information on there, and we're working hard to update that website to fully encapsulate everything we're about. So alphavedic.com. And um, yeah, we thanks for uh, joining us today. Uh, hopefully you gleaned some information if you're suffering from any of these afflictions. Uh, I guess the big takeaway is that you can be self-empowered to um, do what is necessary to fix yourself and so it's all about knowledge and then it's all about going from there. So uh, thanks again for joining us today. Uh, this will be premiering on YouTube at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and it's also available as a podcast. 
that you can grab on iTunes or on any other uh, podcasting platforms you enjoy. Thanks so much, guys, and have a great day.